It's been said that if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. And I doubt that any of us need any reminders of how busy our society is. I think about how seemingly every day I have conversations with people that end up going back to the topic of how busy we are. And we can't pretend that all this busyness is not impacting our relationship with God. Let me just give you one example. There's a trend that's been going on for a couple decades now that those people who identify themselves as committed Christians, who are committed to God and committed to their church, are decreasing their involvement in church. Those who used to attend church, say, four times a month, are now down to two or three times a month. Those who used to attend a couple times a month, they're now down to once a month or even less. And it's not that they're trying to turn their back on God. It's just that we are busy. We are traveling. We are working. The kids have a practice or a game. We have a hobby or maybe a house project that keeps calling our name. Or you know what? We are just so busy the rest of the week that we are tired. And so the result is that we are here less. And this is just one of the symptoms of how the busyness of our society is impacting our spiritual lives. And I find it fascinating how Christians can get so worried about what's going on in politics or so worried about what's going on with the morality of our culture, yet you don't hear Christians very frequently expressing concern about our busyness. Yet I can't help but think that if Jesus was here with us today, among other things that he would say to us is probably something along the lines of, you people, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are divided. Not because you are bad, but because you are busy. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to two different places. One is Matthew 14, and the other place is Mark chapter 1. So you can put your finger in Mark chapter 1 or a piece of paper over there, and then we'll start out in Matthew 14 in a moment. Last week we looked at the topic of fasting, and specifically fasting from stuff, whether it's food or Facebook or, social, or other types of social media or sports or shopping or really anything that consumes our emotional energy. There is value at times from fasting from those things to help us to grow in our hunger for God. And today we are looking at a different type of fasting, not fasting from stuff, but fasting temporarily from the busyness of our schedule. And if we are to put our schedule on a fast, it may look like resting a bit more, slowing down, or setting aside intentional times for solitude and silence. And when we think about uh, this habit of grace, of, of fasting in terms of our schedule, it has the same goal as all the other habits of grace as well, which is growing in our enjoyment of God and growing and glorifying him on a daily basis. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dig into Scripture. Father, thank you that you love us so richly, and that you sent Jesus, among other reasons, to give us rest, that we strive for so many different things. We are seeking our identity and our significance and our security in so many things that do not ultimately satisfy 
Lord, we, we thank you again that Jesus came to give us rest, rest spiritually, so that we don't have to keep striving in our spiritual lives to try to earn your favor, but that we can rest in the finished work of what Jesus has already done. And Lord, we, we confess that we so easily get busy and we get distracted. And I pray that in our time together right now, over the next handful of minutes, that you will give us a focus and an attentiveness of mind and heart and ears so that we will hear not only what our words are coming out of my mouth, but what you want to say to each one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off our time uh, looking at Jesus, looking at the example of Jesus. And what we see when we look at Jesus is that he made a habit of getting away in solitude and prayer. It was a habit that he instituted in his life. I want to look at three examples. There are others, but I just want to look at three. The first one is in Matthew 14. In this passage, Jesus has just been teaching a large crowd of of well over 5,000 people. And I want to pick up in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 14. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. And so we see this example of Jesus. He had dismissed the crowds. He dismissed his disciples. And he went up on the mountain alone in order to pray. He made a habit of getting away in solitude and prayer. I think of another example over in Mark 1. So you can turn over there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 1. In the passage just before what we'll look at in verse 35, Jesus has been in the house. And people heard Jesus was in this house. And so it says, in the the evening time, the whole city gathered outside of that house to see Jesus. And a number of people were bringing sick people to Jesus in order to have him heal them. And so that was what was going on the night before. And let's pick up now in verse 35 of Mark chapter 1. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And so he had been up late the night before. Yet he got up early in the morning. It says, before the sun even came up. And he went out alone, away. Why? So he could pray. Why did he go so early in the morning? I mean, he, he was up late the night before. Why not sleep in a little bit and then get up a little bit later? Well, the reason that he got up so early to do this is so that he would not be distracted because he knew that if he did not get up early to do this, there were going to be people clamoring around him for more attention. And we see this actually in the next couple of verses. Verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So that's what would have happened had Jesus waited. He knew that there would have been distraction galore. And so it was important for him to pull away and spend that personal time with God. Now in our lives, we are always going to have more opportunities in order to do more things. Whether it's to make more money, whether it's an opportunity that we want to to investigate, whether it's um, a task that needs to be done, people who need us in some way or another, there are always going to be more things that could occupy our time. 
Yet Jesus here is giving an example of the importance at times of pulling away in order to focus on God. Now let's put ourselves in Jesus' shoes for a moment here. If you were Jesus, and you have all these people coming to you who have needs. I mean, they're sick, they, they have relational problems, they have all kinds of needs, they keep coming to you. Would you ever feel right about pulling away when there are more people who have needs to be fulfilled? I think it would be kind of challenging because I think for most of us we would feel an obligation to keep meeting the needs rather than pulling away to spend time by ourselves with God. Because the needs keep calling our names. But again, we have to recognize that in our lives there is always going to be more that we could do with people, with tasks, with projects, with work, with making money. There's always more out there that we could be doing. And Jesus shows it is not only valid, but it is important for us to have those times where we pull away from the busyness, even when there's more that could be done, that we pull away temporarily so that we can be refueled, so we can focus on God, so then we can re-enter normal day-to-day hectic life with a better focus on what God is calling us to do in the relationships, in the busyness, and the noise. And that's why Jesus was getting away. It wasn't like he was trying to avoid people. Instead, he just recognized that in order to be really ready for what God was calling him to do on this earth, he had to spend time with God so that he could come back prepared to minister to the people. Now I want to turn to one more passage, Mark chapter 6, so you can just turn over a couple of pages in your Bible to Mark chapter 6. And Jesus in this passage had just sent out his disciples. And he had sent them out on some ministry. And in Mark 6, picking up in verse 30, it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many people were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And so what we see here is that Jesus is teaching his disciples, you know what, you all need to do the same thing as I do. In the midst of all the busyness, it says people were coming and going, they didn't even have time even to eat. He said, Jesus is saying, you know what, guys, it's important that you pull away for time alone with God, time in prayer. And I hope the point is clear that in order to grow as followers of Jesus, it's important that we discipline ourselves to get that time alone in the presence of God. If Jesus needed that, how much more do we need that? Now, as I was studying these things, it kind of struck me that, you know what, we may be thinking, is Jesus an introvert? You know, you examine his personality. Introversion, the definition of introversion is that someone gets their emotional energy, they get refueled by being alone rather than with people. That's what introversion is all about. So, So it raises the question, okay, is Jesus an introvert? Is he just someone who needs to go to be alone to be refueled? Well, I really don't think that's what this is talking about here. It's not talking about introversion or extroversion. Jesus instead is giving us a model of one of the primary ways that we commune with God and talk with him is to get into an undistracted place in order to invest in that relationship with him. 
We pull away temporarily so then we can come back refueled and ready for what God has for us. Let me give us some additional reasons for why a rhythm of solitude and silence and communion with God is so valuable. One of the reasons is that it gives us undistracted time with God in Scripture and in prayer. Undistracted time with God in Scripture and prayer. We live in an era of huge distraction. That there are so many different things that call for our attention and our time. And, you know, this little device, smartphone, is such a contributor to that. I mean, how whenever we have a, a smartphone around us, we're always liable to be getting phone calls and text messages. We have the temptations to, you know, go on there, check social media, um, surf the web for a little while, read some articles, uh, play a game on there. It's such a source of distraction. There are blessings that come with it. But it can be such a distraction among so many other distractions in our world today. And this is why it's so important to get that undistracted time with God on a regular basis. To pull away. To be alone for a period of time. If need, need be, shut the door of whatever room you are in. Alert others. If it's family or, or whatever, alert them. Hey, this is what I'm doing. If, you're prone to, if they're prone to coming in and distracting you during that time, turn off the TV. Turn off the music. Put the phone in another room. Might be hard to do, but do that. Because then it helps you to really focus in on Scripture and on prayer. And I know this may be a hard thing to do, especially with the phone, because we're so tempted to keep that phone right with us all the time, just in case someone needs to get a hold of us. But you know what? I think how just a few years ago, even in my time here at Freedens, that in my early years here, if someone wanted to get a hold of me via phone, they had two ways to do that. They could call my house, or they could call the church. And if I was not in the location where they called, well, they'd have to leave a message. And it might be several hours or even the next day before I get that message. You know what? People survived. I think back to many years ago um, when phones uh, had little dials on them and there were no answering machines. You remember these phones? Some of you who are much younger than I am, you're like, that does not look familiar at all. What's that cord thing doing? And, and you know what, those are not, with the numbers, those are not buttons. That's a dial that you turn for each number you want to dial in the phone number. There were no answering machines. But you know what, people survived. People were fine. And so if you set that phone aside in order to dedicate yourself to some time in Scripture and prayer uninterrupted, people will be fine. And you'll be fine too. And if you're anxious about that, it probably shows too much dependence on the cell phone. It might be good to fast from that for a little while as well. And so, so it's important that we get that undistracted time with God in Scripture and in prayer. And one of the realities is that even if we remove those external distractions, it's easy to still get distracted just in our minds. I mean, how many of you ever just sit down and pray, and you're, you're trying to pray, and all of a sudden your mind is off thinking about something that's coming up tomorrow or later today or something that happened yesterday, and your mind is distracted in prayer? Or you're reading Scripture, and your mind is somewhere besides in the Bible. That is so easy to do. So we sell those internal distractions as well. 
That's why for me, one of the big things that benefits my times with God is having a notebook with me. And in that notebook, as I'm reading scripture, I write out verses that stick out to me. I write insights about them. I write questions about them. I, I turn them into prayers. In that notebook, I, I actually write out prayers to God, kind of like I was writing a letter to God. And yes, writing things out by hand takes extra time. But that's part of the point, helping us to slow down and to focus. Because when you're writing something out, it's much harder to get distracted. So writing stuff out, it slows you down, helps you get focused. That's something that works well for me. And so pulling away for silence and solitude and communion with God helps us get undistracted time with God and Scripture and prayer. It also helps us with thanking God on a consistent basis because if our lives are busy and we're just speeding through each day, it's easy to, to experience blessings during the day, but then to not really give God thanks for those blessings. Yeah, we may be praying for things. We may see God answer prayers, but do we stop to say thank you? And one of the things that can happen if we get this rhythm into our lives of even every day having a little bit of time set aside, undistracted with God, it gives us an opportunity to prayerfully review the last 24 hours and to specifically thank God for each of the blessings that we have seen in our lives. Each of the ways that we have seen God at work, we can thank him. So this is a way to build an attitude of gratitude in our lives. And another way, another reason why this rhythm is helpful is that it deepens our character if we do it well. Because, again, we're so easily just flying through life and we're doing things, we're saying things all the time, but frequently we aren't actually reflecting on the things that we do and say. And so we do and say things, but then in our busyness we aren't really learning any lessons along the way. And so by slowing down and examining what's going on beneath the surface of our lives, it helps us to really grow. Because then we're not just doing and saying things without reflecting, but, but we can really dig deep because there's stuff going on under the surface of our lives. Whether it's motives or anxieties or fears or hopes or joys or dreams. And by slowing down and prayerfully examining what's going on in our soul, it can help us to understand more of how God wired us. It helps us understand more of the brokenness that's going on inside of us and then how God can heal that brokenness. So then we are prepared and equipped and empowered to go out and apply God's will in deeper ways in our words and our actions and our motives. So this is a way to really deepen our character, to examine our lives prayerfully in the presence of God and to apply Scripture to our lives. And so this rhythm... Of, of getting away from the busyness and the distractions on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be a long period of time. I mean, it could start out as 15, 20 minutes, which we can carve out somewhere in our day. It's a way to pull, uh, pull back from the busyness of life, to reflect, to pray, to, to read Scripture, to internalize it, to meditate on it, and then to equip us to go back out into the busyness and the noise and the people equipped to do God's will in fresh ways. So that is one important thing, is just get that rhythm in our lives, even on a, on a daily basis. But I want to zoom out and look at bigger rhythms of our life, because the Bible has something to say about that as well, and specifically on the topic of Sabbath. I want to turn to a passage 
in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, um, God is telling about this idea of a Sabbath. Exodus 20, picking up in verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the word Sabbath, it really means to cease or to stop. So the idea of Sabbath is that you have six days where you're dedicated to work, to productivity. And then on that seventh day, a weekly rhythm, you stop or you cease that work that is aimed towards a lot of productivity. And you just do your typical work week. So you have six days on, one day off. That is the idea of a Sabbath. And Sabbath is a day to focus on God, a day to relax, a day to de-stress. Now, for many Christians, when they celebrate a Sabbath, it's on a Sunday. And so a part of that is worshiping God with their church family. Now, here in Exodus 20, we see again that the key part of the Sabbath, though, is to stop working. It says, on it, on that Sabbath, you shall not do any work. You, your son, daughter, servants, even livestock. Um, it's the idea of abstaining from the typical work that we're engaged in for the rest of the week. To relax, to de-stress, to focus on God. You know, we live in, in a very hectic world. And in our world, the idea of a Sabbath is very counterintuitive. Because we are driven to be busy. And there are more and more activities that are calling our names. And in fact, in our society, busyness has become a status symbol. That when you are busy and when you are needed, it makes you seem more important. And it's also just the reality, the counterintuitive nature of Sabbath, that we are busy. We have these incredibly long to-do lists. And so it feels like, how in the world can I take a day off? Especially a day every single week from working because there's so much to do. There's so much stress. I feel so stressed. I can't take a day off. But in fact, that busyness and that stress that, that prevents us from wanting to take a day off is actually the very reason we need to take a day off. It's ironic how that works. So it's important to have this day to de-stress, to focus on God, to relax, to get refueled for what comes next. And one of the other realities of what a Sabbath provides is an invitation to redefine our sense of satisfaction and accomplishment in life. There is always more that could be done in our lives. But on the Sabbath, if we put this into practice, it helps us say, you know what? I've done enough this week. That's enough for that week. Tomorrow, I'll start a new week. There will be more to do then. But, but I'm satisfied with enough for now. And in, here in Exodus 20, it gives God as an example. It says, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Why did God rest? It, it certainly was not because he was tired. We get tired. 
We are not machines. We are not God. We get tired. I mean, the, the rhythm of sleep and awake is a part of our lives. So is the rhythm of work and rest. But God doesn't get tired, so why did God rest? I think God rested here out of a sense of fulfillment. He accomplished what he was seeking to accomplish. He was, he was satisfied with a job well done in creation. And so he rested from that work to provide us an example of the importance of us resting from our work, to be satisfied with what we accomplished that week and to say, you know what, I'm going to rest today. I'm going to trust that, that what needs to get done will get done. But today is the day that I'm going to slow down and I am going to rest. Work is a good thing. We're actually told in Colossians 3, verse 23, that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord and not for people. So when we work, we are called to work with dedication, with wholeheartedness, with diligence. But then, to be satisfied with that hard work, and then to rest. But it's hard to rest. And, you know, part of that reason is that we are looking to be satisfied and we recognize, you know what, I'm not satisfied with good enough. I need more and more and more. And so it's hard to be satisfied, but the reality is busyness and all this activity is not ultimately satisfying. People are still looking for something more. There is a study that is ongoing at UCLA out in California. Uh, it started in 1985 when UCLA began asking incoming college freshmen, if they, quote, felt overwhelmed by all I had to do during the previous year. So it looked at their last year, which encompassed their senior year of high school, and asked them if they felt overwhelmed by all they had to do during the last year leading up to college. Back in 1985, when the study started, 18% of incoming freshmen said, yes, I felt overwhelmed by all that I had to do. Jump ahead to 2010, that number had increased to 29%. And then in 2017, which was the last year that I have stats for, so that was just over the period of, of seven years. 2010, it was 29% of incoming freshmen said I was overwhelmed. It jumped to 41% by 2017. And according to one of the researchers who's leading this project, he said that the single biggest stressor is that these students, quote, never get to the point where they can say, I've done enough and now I can stop. He says there's always one more activity, one more AP class, one more thing to do in order to get into a top college. Kids have a sense that they're not measuring up. The pressure is relentless and getting worse. It's this idea of, uh, that they never get to, of, I've done enough, now I can stop. And this is the treadmill that society has us on, that we always are looking at something more. There's always something more that we can do, and this carries over into adulthood. It carries over. It's not like, hey, once they get into college, things get easier. I read that, that these days, more people, more college students are seeking help and counseling for anxiety than for depression. 62% of college students report feeling overwhelming anxiety during the last year. Overwhelming anxiety, and I think such a big part of that is this push that I need to accomplish more. I need to do more. And we so easily get caught up in this mindset, but doing more does not satisfy. All it does is keep wearing us down. And yes, we may accomplish stuff and accomplish good stuff, but God made us to have those rhythms of rest, of saying, you know what, 
I've done enough for this week. I trust God that, that what got done was what needed to get done. And that you will guide me in getting done this next week what needs to get done this next week. But it allows us to relax in the presence of God. Because God did not send Jesus to this world to stress us out or to make us busy. I mean, Jesus, he said, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yet, we get so caught up in busyness and in striving and in seeking more and more accomplishments. And you know what? It is great to dedicate ourselves to the work to which God's calling us. Yet at the same time, we need these rhythms of rest built in with the work. Or else we're going to get burned out. We're going to get worn down. So the habit of grace we're talking about today is to establish healthy rhythms in life. Establish healthy rhythms in life. And this looks different for different people. But I want to give you just the example of the rhythms that I've established in my life. At least an overview of them. Just to help give an example of what might this look like. And again... It's going to look different in your life. All of our lives are different. We all have different variables. But I will say that for me, in my first few years here at Freedom's Church as a pastor, I've been here nine and a half years now. For those first few years, I did not have a healthy rhythm in my life. I was young. I was passionate. There was a lot that needed to be done here at the church. For a while, I didn't have a kid, so that, that helped out some. And for the first four months here at the church, I did not take a single day off work. And it wasn't that the church leaders were saying, Brandon, you need to be our slave and you need to keep working. It was a choice I made myself. I remember Thanksgiving Day, 2009. I was in my office in that morning working on some stuff that was very stressful and pressing. Four months, not a day off. Finally got a little bit of a day off over Christmas visiting some family, but there were some pressing things. Got a phone call. Still need to deal with things while I was on vacation. It was not a healthy rhythm of life. But since then, thankfully, I, I've come to a more sustainable and healthy rhythm. Part of it, let me just kind of run through the course of what a typical day is for me. I start out the morning at least four days a week riding my bicycle. And it's not just a short ride. It's usually an hour, hour and a half. Um, and I love be, being outside. I do it before the rest of the family gets up so it doesn't interrupt the normal daily rhythms and routines. And I love getting that fresh air. And for me, I call it random think time. I don't listen to music. I, I, a lot of people like listening to music when they work out. I like it in other forms of working out. But riding a bike, I tried it one time. It felt like noise pollution. It was mentally draining because I love just letting my mind just go. Sometimes it goes to prayer. Sometimes it goes to processing the sermon coming up. Sometimes it's just, just thinking. Or just enjoying nature. And that's so healthy and rejuvenating for me mentally and emotionally. And when I get back home, you know, I eat breakfast and supper with my family most days. A blessing of, of living next door to where I work is I'm able to eat lunch with Shelly most days. Those are important times to unplug from the busyness of the day and spend time with family. And then on, on top of that, um, in, in the evenings, I have meetings on a regular basis. I mean, usually two to three evening meetings a week. But I try to limit those meetings so I don't have too many in a row. But also, even when I have evening meetings, 
I typically am spending supper time and a little bit of free time with my family um, and try to limit those meetings. And then at night before I go to bed, that's when I spend that dedicated time with God. Set aside the distractions, read scripture, pray, things like that. And it just establishes a healthy rhythm. As far as Sabbath, for me, my Sabbath is Monday. Because as a pastor, I work on Saturdays and Sundays. But Monday is that day off. It's a day of moving a little bit slower, relaxing a little bit more. Yes, I still have tasks to do around the house sometimes. But at the same time, I do them with a more leisurely pace. It's a time where I'm able to read. And it's a time just to get mentally rejuvenated, to hit the ground running the next day. So that's a little bit of my rhythm in my life. Like I said, I know that you will have differences from that. But, but I pray that each one of us will examine our lives and identify ways to establish a healthy rhythm, a sustainable rhythm. Because the reality is, we as Americans, we are busy. We are busy. And we can't pretend that busyness does not impact our relationship with God. As I said earlier, I believe that if Jesus was here with us, he'd probably say, you know what, you, you people, you're so busy. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are divided, not because you're bad, but because you are busy. And a way to combat that is by getting rhythms into our lives of rest and of rejuvenation. And, and you know what, I did not hear Jesus' audible voice saying, hey, this is probably what I'd say if I were here with you. But I took this from the parable of the sower. Where in the parable of the sower, Jesus is talking about this, this farmer who goes out and sows a bunch of seeds. And, and one of the seeds, or one, one place where the, some of the seeds fall, is among thorns. And it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the, the cares, the riches, and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Cares, riches, pleasures, these are good things. But it's so easy for these good things to consume us and busyness to consume us. And what happens then, according to Jesus, is that the fruit does not mature. God designed us to work hard, but God also designed us to rest well. That's why Jesus said, that he, he came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. True satisfaction in life is not found in busyness and accomplishments. It's found in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, um, again, we live in this world that we all recognize as busy. And in this room, we all have different capacities for busyness, and we all have different uh, activities, we all have different things calling for our attention, and many things are good things. But Lord, it is so easy to get too consumed with these good things and too consumed with busyness. And so I pray that you will do work in each of our lives, helping us and empowering us and, and convicting us to examine our schedules, to set up boundaries where there need to be boundaries, to set aside time on a regular basis, even a daily basis, a weekly basis, to get time focused on you, time to relax, so that we will live a sustainable lifestyle that includes sustaining and even building a healthy relationship with you. Jesus, thank you that you came to give us rest. Thank you that you came to give us life. May we receive your rest and your life in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>